This is K.M. Wyland, and you are listening to the 400th episode of the Helping Writers Become Authors podcast. So, the big 400, which is actually crazy hard to believe. That means that I've been podcasting and you've been listening just about every week for the past eight years. I was 23 when I added the podcast to the Helping Writers Become Authors website, and I was terrified when I recorded that first podcast, which made no sense, of course, since I was just sitting alone in a closed room with a very forgiving microphone and the ability to edit out all my mistakes. And it was also the fact that there were probably only 10 people listening to that first episode. But now there are thousands of you listening and talking to you is now old hat. So just a quick shout of thanks for listening for all these years and responding enthusiastically via your emails and tweets Here's to the next 400 episodes. The latest post on my blog is how to create meaningful obstacles via conflict. Find out how common misconceptions about conflict can lead to stories that look conflict-packed, but actually bore readers. To read the post, visit helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. And now I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast, Seven Types of Thematically Pertinent Antagonists. Thematically pertinent antagonists are the linchpin that holds together any successful story. You can write delicious protagonists, snappy dialogue, riveting conflict, and deep themes, and still your story can fail simply because the antagonist was taken for granted as a leering two-dimensional bad guy. We've talked before about how, somewhat non-intuitively, The character who provides the entire foundation for a successful story is not the protagonist, but rather the antagonist. Why is that? Because the antagonist is the only one capable of connecting the conflict to the theme. Stories rise and fall on the cohesion of their thematic premises. If the theme doesn't arc properly over the course of the story, if it doesn't resonate deeply within the final confrontation in the climax, If it doesn't tie together the protagonist's inner and outer journeys, then the story will, at best, be better as a sum of its parts rather than a whole. If you're uncertain whether your theme and your plot are proper partners for each other, dancing in symmetry through every important structural moment all the way to the grand burst of fireworks in the finale, then the first question to ask yourself is, What is the relationship between my protagonist and my antagonist? What happens in a story is always personal. Because the exterior conflict exists to help dramatize what the story is really about, aka the protagonist's personal character arc, it's never random. Even when the point of the story is that bad things sometimes happen randomly, for no obvious reason, That's how the story begins, not how it ends, which means the antagonist's intrusion into the protagonist's life is very personal for the subsequent duration of the story's conflict. Whether your antagonistic force is a faceless corporation, a serial killer, a bully, a family member, or just a nice little lady who can't remember to chain up her destructive dog, there must be a reason this force is throwing negative obstacles into the protagonist's life. If there is no reason, no obvious connection, then the story's realism fades. Worst case scenario, the antagonistic force's lack of connection 
and thus the main conflict's lack of connection to the theme, creates an utterly fragmented and emotionally unconvincing final confrontation in the climax. I see this quite a bit in romances. The main part of the story is solid. It's about a relationship, which means the two figures in the relationship are in fact one another's antagonists. They're creating and resolving each other's obstacles within the mutual goal of a successful relationship. So far, so good. In fact, this fundamental aspect of romances is an excellent example of how to inextricably unite the antagonist, the conflict, and the theme. But often the author will feel the need to up the ante by throwing in a suspenseful subplot in which a minor antagonist threatens one of the main characters. This antagonist is usually off screen for 90% of the book, rarely if ever interacts with the protagonists, and has little to no connection to the thematic premise. Rather, he exists solely to provide an exciting final obstacle for the characters to overcome. No problem there either, except this final obstacle, which should be the most pertinent and personal of the entire story, ends up being the most distanced from the underlying thematic story. So today we're going to explore seven possible ways you can connect your antagonist to your protagonist, and thus your main conflict, in a thematically pertinent way. This list probably isn't exhaustive. I collected it after researching some of my favorite stories and studying what made the antagonist-protagonist relationship so compelling. So after hearing this list, think of some of your own favorite stories. Do the antagonists fit into the following categories? If not, drill down deeper to figure out what connects protagonist, antagonist, and theme in a watertight triangle of emotionally compelling logic. Category number one. Protagonist and antagonist are positively connected. When you think of a meaningful connection between protagonist and antagonist, the first thing to come to mind might well be the heartrending premise of friend versus friend. This is one of my favorite types of antagonist-driven themes, thanks to its inherent emotional quality. Great conflicts are based around hard choices, preferably leading to obvious lose-lose situations. These are rife in stories in which both the protagonist and the antagonist are forced to choose between someone they love and their own goals and or principles. These stories prompt excellent moral questions along the lines of what makes it okay to betray a friend. This category can also include relationships that aren't necessarily positive on a personal level, but which still bind the protagonist and antagonist in a way generally looked upon as a positive alliance. This applies particularly to family members, even when they dislike each other. Cinderella and her stepmother is a good example. They never like each other, but because of their forced familial bond, Cinderella, at least, feels bound to respect the traditional nature of their relationship, which neatly complicates the thematic argument. Other examples include Friends, Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes in Captain America the Winter Soldier. Friends, Steve Rogers and Tony Stark in Captain America Civil War. Adopted son and father, Matthew Garth and Tom Dunson in Red River. And brothers, Brendan Conlon and Tommy Conlon in Warrior. Category number two. The protagonist is negatively connected to the antagonist. Many stories open with the protagonist and antagonist oblivious 
to each other until the moment their goals bring them into conflict. In these moments, either the inciting event or the first plot point, something will happen that will be so dramatic and life-changing, even if on a comparatively small level in some stories, that these characters cannot walk away from each other after this. Because the conflict will continue for the duration of the story, this means their impact upon one another is negative. Because the antagonist is traditionally the bad guy, it's common for him to be responsible for negatively impacting the protagonist in a way that binds the protagonist to him. In short, the antagonist does the protagonist wrong. And this action can span the gamut from the antagonist's lying about the protagonist, winning a job away from him, betraying him on a personal level, as in Warrior, in which younger brother Tommy feels his older brother chose their alcoholic father over him and their mother, all the way to something truly tragic, such as an assault upon the protagonist, as when psychotic bandit Liberty Valance robs, beats, and leaves for dead Jimmy Stewart's idealistic lawyer, or an assault upon a loved one. Hello, death wish, and every revenge story ever after. The point is that the protagonist cannot walk away. The antagonist has changed his life in a negative way. The protagonist may start out the second act just wanting to put things back to rights, but eventually the story will force him to face down the antagonist in what has now become a very personal fight, even if it's actually about something bigger than just them. The awesome thing about this approach is that it forces the interior goal to extrovert into an exterior goal, neatly tying everything together. Other examples include William Tavington murdering Benjamin Martin's son in the midst of the greater conflict of the American Revolution in The Patriot. Again, Liberty Valance leaving Rafe started for dead in the midst of the greater conflict for Western statehood in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Wrongful King Vortigan killing off rightful King Arthur's parents and friends in the midst of the greater conflict for peace in Camelot in King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Category number three. The antagonist is negatively connected to the protagonist. This can also work the other way around. Instead of the protagonist being wounded and furious with the antagonist, it's the antagonist who sees himself as the damaged party and pursues the protagonist single-mindedly. The key difference is that the protagonist is often, although not always, oblivious to the antagonist's obsession with him. He is either unaware of what he did to upset the antagonist, or he views it as a positive thing, or he is unwittingly the key player in a larger conflict of which he is as yet unaware, as is often the case when the conflict is generational. This can also work both ways, since any and all of the categories listed here can overlap. Almost always, there will be a chain of cause and effect. Maybe the antagonist gets hurt first, but he will quickly lash out and make it personal for the protagonist as well. This antagonistic category lends itself well to mystery and suspense, since the protagonist will sometimes have to discover whatever it is he did to upset the antagonist and make himself central to this particular conflict. Chosen ones often qualify. Other examples include Tony Stark versus pretty much all of his opponents as a result of his general oblivion about the damage he leaves in his wake. Again, Rafe Stoddard versus Liberty Valance as a result of Rafe's trying to lawfully oppose Liberty's reign of terror in the territory. Arthur versus Vortigan as a result of Arthur's bloodline is born king, threatening Vortigan's reign. And Poe versus Tai Lung as the result of Tai Lung's envy of Poe's status as dragon warrior in Kung Fu Panda. 
Category number four. The antagonist is a mirror for the protagonist. Not all stories will feature protagonist-antagonist relationships in which the characters actually know each other. And this obviously creates a huge emotional vacuum within the story. How can the conflict be personal when the relationship isn't? How can the climax still have deep thematic meaning? In many stories with quote-unquote big bads, it is logistically impossible to even put the protagonist and the antagonist in the same room with each other for most of the story. But you can still keep their relationship front and center by allowing the antagonist to be a mirror for the protagonist. When the protagonist is able to see herself, even in this faraway bad guy, it provides the opportunity for the deep thematic grist of existential questions. The protagonist gets to ask herself, why am I fighting this person? How am I any different or any better? If this person is so much like me, then mightn't we even be friends instead of enemies? The more similarities you can draw between protagonist and antagonist, personality, methods, goals, backstory, interests, etc., the more opportunities you will create to explore the exterior conflict from within the subtext of the protagonist's own interior journey. Examples include Tony Stark and Ivan Vanko, who share similar backstories regarding their inventor fathers and similar abilities themselves, among other things, in Iron Man 2. Steve Rogers and Johann Schmidt share similar experiences with taking the super soldier serum in Captain America the First Avenger. Jason Bourne shares an identical past with all the Treadstone agents sent after him in the Bourne trilogy. Captain Jack Aubrey duels it out with a French captain who fights like you, Jack, in Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. Elizabeth Bennet and Fitzwilliam Darcy share many personality traits in Pride and Prejudice. George Bailey and Old Man Potter share business savvy, ambition, and a disdain for Bedford Falls in It's a Wonderful Life. And Arthur and Vortigan share a bloodline and similarly ruthless ambition. Category number five. The protagonist and the antagonist oppose each other ideologically. The protagonist and the antagonist won't always be opposing each other due to personal goals or injuries. Sometimes the battle will be about something greater. Ideological ideas. The good guy believes in what's right, and the bad guy believes in what's wrong, and never the twain shall meet. Most stories come down to this at one point or another in the conflict, even if the theme is just about school kids standing up for themselves against bullies. Stories about even larger issues, such as war and social injustice, are often based entirely around this. It's important to note, however, that ideological opposition isn't enough to float a conflict. As you may have noted, ideological opposition implies no sort of connection between characters whatsoever. For the final conflict between these ideologies to carry emotional weight in the finale, the antagonistic force needs to be bound to the protagonist in an additional way by one of the previous categories. This is where Wonder Woman faltered. Diana's final confrontation against archenemy Ares is the weakest section of the story, due primarily to the fact that it is entirely ideological. Diana has no personal connection to Ares. Were it not for her commitment to her beliefs, she would be able to simply walk away from him and the war with no personal consequences. At best, this contributes to simplistic plots and themes. 
Good examples include Chris Adams's That's Just the Kind of Promise You've Got to Keep versus Calvera's Why Did You Come Back? A Man Like You, A Place Like This in The Magnificent Seven. Or Rafe Stoddard's Law and Order versus Liberty Balance's Rule by Violence. Or Lady Eboshi's Disregard for the Balance of Nature versus Ashitaki's Respect for It in Princess Mononoke. Category number six. The antagonist is a non-human obstacle to the protagonist's goal. Most stories will be better off putting a human face to even a larger impersonal antagonist, which is why most war movies present a specific soldier as the enemy rather than just the entire opposing army. However, it's true not all stories will offer a human antagonist. In these instances, how can you connect the protagonist to the antagonistic force in a meaningful way. By nature, these stories simply are more emotionally distant. However, remember, the antagonistic force is ultimately nothing more or less than an obstacle between the protagonist and his goal. As such, anything standing in the way of the protagonist's goal becomes, by its very nature, personal. Bottom line, the only conflict that matters is that which directly impacts the character's main through line in pursuing that personal goal. Examples of this include the British and American POWs versus the multitude of obstacles between them and their goal of escaping Germany and returning home in The Great Escape. The Jaeger pilots versus the animalistic alien kaiju monsters intent on destroying humanity in Pacific Rim. Captain Jack Aubrey versus any number of French at all Navy and Army officers opposing England in the Napoleonic Wars in the Aubrey Matterin series. The snowless winter, keeping skiers away from the failing Vermont Lodge, owned by the protagonist's beloved former commanding officer in White Christmas. And the dinosaurs who are out to eat everyone in Jurassic Park. Category number seven. The protagonist as his own antagonist. Even in stories that feature all six of the above types of thematically pertinent antagonists, there is no antagonist more personal than oneself. Every thematically deep story is a story of the protagonist's inner conflict. Who is he? What does he believe? How will he survive? What will he do? By all means, start plotting your story with the antagonist. But start with that inner antagonist first. Once you know what inner demons your protagonist is battling, you can look for the right exterior antagonist to symbolize, dramatize, and catalyze that all-important interior battle. This is the heart of great climactic encounters, when the protagonist's conflict against himself aligns with his conflict against an exterior opponent. One way or another, he will come to the realization that defeating the exterior antagonist is easy in comparison to the inner foe he's been battling. In realizing that, he harmonizes the two conflicts, and in ending one, is essentially ending both. And just like that, powerful thematic resonance within the conflict. Examples include George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life, Russ Duritz in The Kid, Walter in Secondhand Lions, and Roger Maris in 61. Don't create a story about a protagonist. Instead, create a story about a protagonist and an antagonist and the connection between them. The result will be a realistic conflict that flows and a plot and theme that are bound integrally and powerfully at 
every important point in your story. Thank you for listening to the Wordplay Podcast. To read a transcript of this episode, you can visit my website at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. And be sure to check back again next week.